0: Hello, I'm Dr Judy Puddyfoot, a veterinary surgeon from the UK, and this is the Underdog Vet podcast. In each series, I'll bring you the animal advocate interviews, where you can join me as I chat to some truly inspiring people who have dedicated their lives to improving the health and welfare of animals around the world. Guests include a variety of people, including vets, campaigners, and those who have founded or work for animal charities, But one thing they all have in common with you and I is that they're passionate animal advocates. Feel free to hit the subscribe so you don't miss a thing. Details on how you can get in touch are at the end of this episode. And I hope you enjoy this latest installment. Thank you so much for listening. Welcome to this episode of the Underdog Vet Podcast. In this episode's Animal Advocate interview, I spoke with Wendy Barnett, Founder and Clinical Director of the Pet Blood Bank UK. Launched in 2007, the Pet Blood Bank UK was set up to support vets by providing a blood service for pets in need of blood transfusions and other blood products such as plasma. The service operates 24 hours a day, seven days a week to ensure blood is always available to pets who may need it. Wendy explained why the service was originally set up and how it works, including what makes a good donor dog, what a donating session involves, and how vets can access the service should they have a canine patient that needs a blood transfusion. Wendy also spoke about how COVID and the lockdowns affected the pet blood service. And I asked about the ethics of taking blood from dogs when technically they can't consent to such a procedure. Wendy, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. I wanted to start by asking you to tell us a little bit about yourself and what your job is.
1: So I'm the clinical director and the founder of Pet blood Bank UK. I'm a registered veterinary nurse with a surgical diploma and I basically look after Pet Blood Bank UK, making sure that um, we can collect blood and supply it all around the country to the UK veterinary profession.
0: So to quote a rather old now but well-known TV advert to people of a certain age, the Pet Blood Bank pretty much does exactly what it says on the tin. But can you give us a bit more of a detailed explanation of what the service offers and also why a service like this is needed in veterinary medicine? It's very much
1: needed. I think most people relate to the human blood service and we run you know, very similar to that service. So we provide blood products 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And prior to actually launching Pet Blood Bank, if you needed blood for a patient, It wasn't always available Um, my background is working in accident and emergency so definitely you know working clinics in the middle of the night and at weekends it's very difficult to find a donor to come forward to donate blood at at those hours um, and at those days of the week sadly you know I think lack of blood um, obviously meant that dogs didn't receive it and, and therefore there were dogs that would have died before the service was available.
0: You said dogs are not there, and is it just dogs that you take blood donations from and supply blood for? So
1: currently, yes, we um, collect blood from dogs. And they come along to our donation centres and, and donate their unit of blood. Um, We also provide a processing service for um, alpacas actually, Um, Mm -hmm. so that's something um, that has come along um, over the years Um, and we are investigating and hoping to provide a feline service in the future, so we do know that cats, much like our our dogs, need need blood as well, um, and therefore that is something that we're currently investigating.
0: I've got to ask about the alpacas.
1: (laughs) What, What is that? What do you do with alpaca blood? So for us, that's a processing service. So we do very much rely on um, the vets the, the that look after those alpaca herds to collect the blood. During the birthing, which takes place between March and September, when the babies are being born, they're called creas. Sometimes they need some immunity transfer. So if they're not suckling colostrum, maybe unwell, need a bit of support. Um, a transfusion of plasma um, has been something that um, has been requested by us to provide We'll liaise with them, make sure that their blood can be um, brought from the farm um, where they collect from, you know, the male alpacas. And we can process that much like we do the canine blood and the plasma is then provided back um, to the herd. So it has to go back to that herd. Um, and then it's used during the birthing season to help any unwell cria's. So it's something we were asked for when we first um, started. And, um, and, you know, we're now able to provide that
0: service. Um, so it's great. Wow, I was not expecting to talk about alpacas on this episode, I'm not going (laughs) to lie. That's amazing. Um, And also, could I just pick up, you said that they take it, the, the blood donations in alpacas are taken from the males. You said that quite specifically. Is there a reason why you take it just from males?
1: No I mean it can be collected from females as well but normally you know we don't collect blood from any animal that's pregnant lactating Um, so normally within an alpaca herd it tends to be the males are you know that they're big strong not pregnant obviously given their sex and uh, it's easy for you know for them to um, to be the blood donors rather than the females that might you know be pregnant or the herd owner is wanting that female alpaca to be
0: pregnant. You said that sometimes they need to have a transfer of immunity to the the creas that the baby alpacas and that must be quite common then if they've asked for uh, you to process the blood to make that available is that common that they need that what why is that so common
1: yeah, I mean we're in the we're in our thousands for blood um, canine blood donors coming forward to be part of the program, whereas we are only in our hundreds for the alpaca service. And and we very much support each individual vet that's looking after a herd of alpacas. But yes, certainly the summer months, the birthing season, that's when the service um, seems to be busier for us. But much like the canine plasma, that the plasma can be frozen and and you know, kept in the in the freezer and therefore used when it's actually
0: needed. And that transfer of immunity, is that an idiosyncrasy of alpacas? If you don't know, it doesn't matter. <laughs> You've blown my mind. Why specifically alpacas? Is it very frequent that they don't get the colostrum over yes. other species?
1: I mean, I'm not an alpaca expert. I don't yeah, know anyone that is. <laughs> Claire Whitehead actually is our camelid specialist. We do, um, you know, we obviously seek expert advice at Pet Blood Bank and we will often draw on the profession to advise us. And Claire's amazing. She knows alpacas and camelids. It's what she does. So she's brilliant at it. So I don't think it's just alpacas. Plasma, you know, contains immunity, which is why we want our dogs to be fit and healthy and well. So they're passing on their good immunity to a recipient that is unwell. It seems to be that, you know, a treatment um, for alpacas for these careers that aren't suckling colostrum and aren't getting that passive immunity transfer in that way. Um, plasma has been shown to obviously
0: to help with that for them. So interesting. Well, let's go back to dogs then. We digress to alpacas, but let's go back to dogs. Are there different blood types in pets like we see in humans? And if there are, do the recipient animals, be they dogs or you said about cats, but we'll talk about that a bit later, okay. do they need to be typed before receiving a transfusion?
1: Yes. Yeah, so we blood type, if I talk about canines, so we blood type our canines all of our donors, and the blood type that's the most important that potentially causes transfusion reactions that we all need to know about before giving a transfusion is DEA, so DOG erythrocyte antigen, so it's the antigen um, on the surface of the red cell, um, and then numbered, so it's DA1. And those are available in commercial testing kits. Um, so that's brilliant. We've got those within the UK and all of our blood donors are, are blood typed, And they're either um, DA1 positive or DA1 negative. So we just refer to positive or negative. It's been really interesting throughout the years, actually looking at the different breeds that we've got. And I think I'm right in still saying that all of our Rottweilers are DA positive. And there was a point where all of our boxes were negative. It's, it's really been interesting to see different breeds having a prevalence of DA1. They've either got it or they've not got it. What we do find within our donor pool, because obviously these dogs are they're medium to large breed dogs, they're over 25 kilos, so there's a potential that we don't know a lot of information about the blood types of little dogs. Um, but within this large, to, you know, this medium to large breed pool of donors that come forward to us, About 75% of them are DA1 positive and only 30% are negative. So for us, that can be quite challenging. We would like all dogs to be blood typed before they have a transfusion. That in itself helps pet blood bank because we know that DA1 negative blood can be given to a dog, whether they're positive or negative. But in order to conserve the reserves, really, of, of the blood within the, the pet blood bank, if everyone blood types, and obviously we get to utilise that DA1 positive blood, because our positive donors are amazing. Whether you're positive or negative doesn't sort of dictate whether you're a, a better donor or not. So it's, it would be brilliant if we could utilise those positive dogs as much as we possibly can. At the moment, what happens is that we blood type a donor. If they tend to be positive, they might not actually be asked to come forward to donate as much. Our donors are asked to donate up to six times a year. If you're a negative donor, we're going to be calling you more often to come along to a donation session. Whereas if you're positive, um, you probably come along and donate a little bit less. Um, our blood supplies for positive blood is generally very good. It um, is those negative reserves that sometimes you know can be low and we do need more. More of those dogs to come forward. And I suppose because we're seeing it in particular breeds, so I've mentioned the boxer, but we also see flat coat retrievers, greyhounds are known for being more likely to be negative, and the lurcher blood types, German Shepherds, biomoralas. There is a list, um, a breed list on our website of those breeds that we found to be more negative than positive. And, And I will say that we do. You know, we do campaign for those breeds to come forward and be blood donors for us because we know that the prevalence is higher at being DA1 negative.
0: What's the process of typing a dog? Is there a bedside pinprick test that, say, First Opinion Vet Practices can do? If somebody comes in and says, oh, my greyhound would be a great blood donor, but I wouldn't know what type he is. Can we do that or is that something that you do as a service?
1: Yeah, so we blood type all of our donors, but we do supply the little test kits. Before COVID, I would say that maybe everyone would be a bit hesitant about using these test kits. And we would often say, oh, they're like a pregnancy test, but now we can say they're like a COVID test because you either have a line or you don't have a line. So yes, there are two lines actually, if you're positive. So you've always got a control line that comes up. It's a two minute test kit, very small amount of blood. So you have a little blotting paper that you pop in the diluent. So you pop your blood onto the little stick, um, the blotting paper stick that it comes with, mix that in the diluent and then um, pop that um, like you do your COVID test onto it in exactly the same type of strip. And within two minutes, you've got a result. So it's a really easy thing to do that can be done day or night. And obviously expiry dates on them are very long. So we'd always encourage all vets to keep some of those on their shelf so that when they get those transfusion cases coming through, they can blood type and then order the right type to help with our blood stocks. And also a useful thing to know, should that dog need future transfusions, you're able then to know what blood to use for cross-matching. We provide a cross-matching service as well.
0: You said about typing dogs and you said about certain breeds tend to be a certain type can any breed of dog donate though and obviously cross breeds can any dog be a donor and essentially I suppose actually just tell us what the criteria are that make a good donor dog
1: yeah so so I know I mentioned sort of breed names but you definitely don't have to be a pedigree dog to donate so any breed of dog is absolutely fine so the criteria is you need to be um, between one and eight Um, so you can donate up until your ninth birthday Um, obviously fit and well like meeting new people um, just be happy and healthy and over 25 kilos so 55 pounds body weight a lean body weight obviously which means that you know we can't have a small breed dog that's um, carrying a lot of extra extra weight so it's got to be that lean body weight and then we do have some breeds that are excluded. brachycephalic breeds, because our donors are, they get to lie on a table, just like um, a human lies on a table. But because we, our dogs are lying on table, so those dogs that might be compromised, really, if we are turning them over. So, yeah, we don't, um, we don't take blood from British bulldogs. Chow Chow, actually. Um, we use lucas membrane colour as an indicator Um, to know that our donors are okay before and after along with other tests and because we can't do that because of their dark mucous membranes we don't um, we don't have the chow chow coming forward and then obviously that any dog that's on the dangerous dogs list is excluded not that we feel that you should exclude a dog because of its breed necessarily each dog's an individual but we don't allow dogs that are muzzled to come along and uh, and be a blood donor for us.
0: Yeah well like you said you've got to be a a happy con, happy-go-lucky kind of friendly dog, really, to sit still and have this done, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Now, important question here, Wendy. Do they get a biscuit and a cup of tea after they've donated? <laughs> they get the
1: doggy equivalent of a biscuit and a cup of tea. And I think that's what they really enjoy. We want our dogs to really um, love the process of being a blood donor. So, yeah, just like we would go along and have our team biscuits, they get treats throughout. Their owner's with them as well, so their owner can be with them throughout the donation process. But they get treats, um, obviously tummy rubs, foot massages, but only if they don't mind having their feet touched, obviously.
0: Just clarify, is it the owners or the dogs that are getting the foot massages?
1: It's the dogs. I think we get we get quite a few owners that come forward and say that, that they would quite like that that treatment. Maybe maybe they put that out there because I don't know whether the, the human blood service can provide sort of a, a massage while you donate. Maybe that might be
0: a nice thing to do. <laughs> I think I think that crosses many boundaries. So we'll we'll not go there. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so lots, yeah, just lots of um, stroking and and, and attention really just to make sure that the dog's nice and relaxed while it's donating its unit of blood. It it can take um, five to seven minutes on average and we do actually time our donors on a stopwatch um, so that we know how quickly they're donating or how slowly they're donating. Certainly find at certain times of the year, you know, it can be a little bit slower in the colder weather compared to the hotter weather and certain breeds will donate their blood quicker than other times than other breeds so yeah it's a really fun experience and I think our owners report that we want the dogs to be dragging their owner in to come in because they remember the treats and the toys and um, just the fun that they had at their last donation.
0: It actually reminds me of um, once I've got a twin brother and we're blood donors and we once went to the same session together and we are ridiculously competitive and we did lie on tables next to each other and ask the nurses to start at the same time so we raced to see who was the faster donor I I kind of remember who won so it must have been him because I've clearly wiped it from my memory but it was a fun experience and I think you're right the most important thing for these dogs and their owners is that it is a positive happy experience because otherwise they wouldn't come they wouldn't do it would they? No, we want and
1: we want them to come back. So like I've said, we want them to come back and donate up to six times a year if they're a negative blood group. So for us, it's, it's really important that it's a very positive experience um, for everyone involved. Um, so, yeah, it's a it's a great day out, really. And now that Covid is it's still here, obviously, we are still managing our donation sessions around Covid. But, you know, pre-Covid when we could have more people in, you know, it was, it was great to show um, everyone what we were doing. It's a very open door policy that we have.
0: And picking up on that, you know, COVID has obviously affected every element of everyone's life. And of course, veterinary medicine didn't stop during COVID. In fact, we were probably actually busier than, than pre COVID, which is weird. I've never seen so many emergencies and life threatening conditions. And I think mostly it's down to probably people were at home with their dogs and actually saw that they were poorly, probably more than they would if they were out all day. However, In terms of your service and of course the lockdowns people couldn't I presume come with their dogs to to donate but you were still presumably getting people asking for the blood to be used in veterinary practices so how did it affect the service during that time?
1: It was really challenging the service actually did continue to operate 24 hours a day seven days a week however what we did was we supplied blood on a case-by-case basis so When a vet contacted us and they needed blood, we would ensure that that blood was available. Obviously blood supplies were in short supply and sometimes it was was difficult to to know when are we next out at a session, and how much blood would be coming in. We obviously say that one unit of blood can actually help up to four other dogs. Those are four small dogs, um, but we were doing a lot of dividing of our blood to make sure that it could go as far as physically possible. Owners were allowed to come out. They would carry their appointment letter, whether it would be in writing or on their phone, just in case they were stopped en route to a venue. So in some ways it was actually, um, it was a way of owners getting out of the house in addition to that one walk a day that we could do as well. So we were, we were greatly supported, but but obviously, yes, of course we lost donors, you know, our donors weren't donating with their owners. So they had to be super confident to be coming in um, with our staff, which meant that, We weren't having new donors coming through the service. So now we're playing catch up on getting lots more dogs coming into the service because ultimately dogs do retire with age and um, health issues that might occur sort of later in life. So we need to constantly replenish um, our donor database. Really challenging. But I think the general public did amazing in supporting us. And certainly the the staff at Pet Blood Bank, I'm so proud that we all pulled together and, and kept going to make sure that the blood could get out there.
0: And I know you said you're playing catch up somewhat now, but in general, does supply meet demand or is demand outstripping supply?
1: No, we do meet demand, but with that negative blood group that I talked about, that we need more of those dogs to come forward. So the positive blood supplies um, are generally absolutely fine and we can supply that um, extremely fast. Whereas the negative, um, it's very much as soon as it's coming in, it's going out. And obviously it varies depending on you know where we're collecting blood and the dogs that come forward. So yeah, we could do with just getting more negative dogs into the service to help with that so that more people can keep it in their fridge so it's ready for those dogs that are coming in rather than needing to um, to acquire it off us as when a dog um, comes into their surgery
0: does the service have donation sites across the whole of the UK or there are, are there only certain areas where people can go
1: Please don't ask me to name them all. No, no,
0: no, no, not at all.
1: (laughs) There are lots of venues all over the UK, so um, Scotland, yeah, England. We obviously need to be be mindful that we're not in the extremities of the country. We will go to an area if we've got um, a database of dogs that have registered. We obviously will look at each area to make sure that have we got a team in that area that could um, use a venue. Um, Most of our venues are veterinary practices. So the veterinary professional have been absolutely fantastic with supporting us. And generally, they will provide us with an area of their practice for about six hours. Normally, that's of an afternoon and evening so that owners can come along during the day. But also if they're at work, they can come along at night and allow their their dog to donate. We do have regional teams. So we've got a Scottish team and then we've got a team of um, a collection team in the in the northeast, the northwest in the Midlands and then in the southwest and the southeast so we try and cover as much of the UK as
0: we can. I wanted to move on and talk more specifically about the blood itself and the donor animals. Are there any specific tests you need to do on potential donor animals before they can become a donor in terms of their health or disease status?
1: Yes, so we've talked about the criteria that they need to be the right size and the right age and and happy and healthy externally, as far as we can see. Um, Obviously, the donor dog that comes in um, to visit us with its owner will receive a full clinical examination. So one of our vets will be examining your dog from nose to tail and making sure that externally, they're absolutely fine. Uh, We do take a small amount of blood, much like yourself, if you're a blood donor, um, to check that they've got enough blood to to be a a blood donor. So that's our PAC-cell volume to make sure that they've got the right percentage of blood in order to um, safely donate blood. We also do another test to make sure that they're not dehydrated and showing signs of any infection, so a total solids test. First-time donors We take a little bit extra at that pre-screening event and that is sent off to the laboratory for full haematology and biochemistry. So donor dogs are receiving a full MOT. If they're deemed fit and healthy by the vet at that examination, they do go in to obviously the donation area where they get to to donate their unit of blood. Um, But any dog that's having the screening of the haematology, biochemistry, their blood unit is quarantined until that unit's passed. Infectious disease screening, what I didn't mention in the criteria is that we don't allow dogs that travel outside of the UK to be blood donors in the UK because of the prevalence of diseases that are outside of the UK that we don't have here at the moment. We actually do screen a certain percentage of our dogs for various infectious diseases as well as a bit of a look and see so that we can um, you know just check if anything is popping into the country and uh, and have done periodic um, studies as well on you know all of our donors for certain diseases at, at various, various times during our development and, and uh, you know and as we continue running so yeah it's
0: something that we do keep a close eye on. And more specifically about the blood, does the donated blood have to go through any specific processes like human blood donation does once it's been collected? And how do you store it and how long is it viable for?
1: So we use human blood collection bags. So you'll be donating around 450 mils. Of blood and you know our donor dogs do that as well the blood is transported in a transport box from wherever it's collected in the country and it all comes back to Loughborough which is the Mid- Midlands processing centre from there it's stored in a temperature controlled room overnight because obviously you can imagine that some of this blood is arriving back maybe of an evening but if it's coming down from Scotland it doesn't get there until the early hours of the morning our processing staff then come in at six o'clock of the morning so it's quite an early start And those blood units are are put in a centrifuge. They're they're spun down and they they separate out into red cells and plasma. So that's a clear definition that we see. And then we use a hand press to move the plasma into the satellite bags that are attached. It's, It's a completely closed system, so no one's actually touching blood um, we break a series of valves within the within the system that allows us to transfer the blood constituencies you know the blood parts around and then obviously because there are four bags we're able to sort of subdivide from there as well we've got a red cell nutrient within one of those four bags which we add back into the red cells and that allows the red cells to live for about six weeks so that shelf life on a red cell unit six weeks with that sort of food that we add um, to the red cells
0: is there a limit over a lifetime i suppose you said up to six times a year did you say until they're nine years old so that's as many times in a dog's lifetime that they can donate i imagine
1: yeah to a certain extent it will depend on their breed so giant breeds will start in the donation program later because we they need to be fully mature and obviously they they may very well retire as well they they might have age-related changes that take place before they get to their ninth birthday um so you know those giant breeds they're in the program a shorter period of time um, but yeah your medium-sized dogs i mean we've got dogs that have donated 30 times so you can certainly donate a lot of blood over that time
0: do do they get little badges and cards and you know things like that to say I've donated nine times or is that just for the owners?
1: No 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 they do actually Um, so they obviously get their amazing red bandana that says that they're a lifesaver the first time they donate and we do have badges that they can pop onto that bandana when they reach certain milestones and they receive gifts leads water bottles and they get a retirement hamper.
0: What's in the retirement hamper?
1: Uh, Retirement hand varies from um, sort of toys, toothbrush, brushes, um, towels, does vary from time to time, but yes, all the things that you might like to make it easier in retirement, I suppose.
0: In terms of donors again, are there any certain illnesses or medications that would exclude a dog being a donor?
1: So yes the dogs do need to be fit and healthy so we wouldn't if a dog was on medic I mean flea worming treatment absolutely fine preventative health care vaccinations we do say not to be vaccinated within 14 days of donating um, to allow that vaccine to work within the body 14 days after um, vaccines are fine if you're on arthritis medication you know we're not going to want you to come forward to be a blood donor you know not only from a point of view that you're on medication that you need, and we don't want to be taking that out in the blood, but also, you know, lifting a dog that's got stiff joints, um, you know, that isn't something from a welfare point of view that we would be able to do. So no, all of our donors need to not be receiving medication. Now, obviously, dogs go out, they can get into trouble sometimes, they might end up on some antibiotics if they, you know, if they've got an infection, if they've got a wound or something like that. Um, so we do have some criteria that we follow, that if a dog has been receiving some antibiotics, during some time in its life or during, you know, the lead up, um, depending on when it had those antibiotics and why it received them. We would then either exclude the donor or it could come come on in and and donate its units of of
0: blood. Now, let's talk about the other end of the process. So the recipients accessing your service from that point of view, how do vet clinics order the blood and how quickly can it arrive? What goes into getting it there? So
1: the service runs 24 hours a day, Seven days a week, and if you've got a dog that needs blood really quickly, the quickest way to get blood is to pick up the phone and give us a call at any time of day, and our staff will answer the phone and um, and take what you require, check our fridge and freezer stocks, and and get that out on the way. In general, a courier will come within the hour. It takes a little bit longer at night sometimes, so up to ninety minutes we say. You know, if it's the middle of the night, um, from the time that you're calling to a courier arriving. And then um, taking um, that box of blood, which has been packaged up, and it's keeping refrigerated if it's a blood product, a red blood product, or if it's been kept frozen in a special box, if it's a plasma product. And the blood is just then driven with the courier to wherever you are in the country. We dispatch within 60 to 90 minutes. And, and obviously that's that's very quick. If you are further away, we deliberately put Pet Blood Bank in the middle of the country. Um, so it's in Loughborough. The M1 is really close by. So it's very easy for blood to come into the facility and also get out very quickly. But we understand that sometimes you might be further away and your patient might not be able to wait that long so we have something called the blood sharing scheme whereas the larger hospitals in the country more likely will have red cells and, and plasma at their facility so you can go onto our website and pop in your postcode and it will actually let you know what hospital near you might have blood that could be shared locally so pet blood bank basically facilitates a sharing scheme um, so yeah, if you're a, if you're a vet, say in the north of the country, and you don't want to wait sort of three or four hours for the blood to get from the Midlands to you, you can pop your postcode in, and hopefully there'll be a local practice that you can borrow blood from, and then we'll replace that blood as quickly as we possibly can. You know, normally the next day to to the veterinary practice that shed their blood. On a less urgent service, so if a dog was having an operation the next day or um, if it was a a large veterinary practice that were keeping stock levels of blood, um, we've got an online ordering system. And, um, And then your order is processed the next day and sent
0: out on an overnight service. Now, there's clearly a lot of hard work and care that goes into this service. Is that reflected in the price of a bag of blood? Is the blood very expensive for vet clinics to buy? It varies on the
1: product. Certainly, Pet Blood Bank doesn't charge for the blood itself. So, we charge for running the service. So, the cost of collecting, the cost of screening, the cost of running our facility and we certainly ask our veterinary customers to not make a profit out of the blood. So we have um, terms and conditions with our customers and they agree to pass on the price of the blood that we supply the blood at um, to their customer, to the owner of the, um, the recipient that's receiving the blood. So, so that's amazing. Obviously, we are a charity and therefore we want blood to be as accessible as possible to everybody. And, and like you say, there is a charge for blood. So we also do fundraising. And we supply blood for free to veterinary hospital charities. So those organisations can also order blood from us and we will supply that for free. And and therefore, for us, it's very important that we can fundraise in order to supply that blood for free, but also to help keep the costs of running our service um, as low as possible. So ultimately, the blood is is kept as low as possible as well.
0: Now, I know some vet practices run their own sort of in-house donor blood supply systems have you any idea what percentage of vet practices across the UK access your blood service
1: I should know shouldn't I but I don't know I mean the fresh whole blood donor that you know is needed sometimes you know for platelets at the moment the only source of platelets for dogs is coming from a fresh whole blood donor and a veterinary practice having a list of um, large dogs that could come in and donate that is it's brilliant and What I wanted to say is sometimes we're actually at a collection venue and dogs are donating. And then because they're veterinary practices, it's, it's not uncommon for then someone you know within that surgery to say actually we've got a dog that needs blood and then blood coming from a dog that's we know it's already been pre-screened it's passed all of its screening so it's not a first time donor for us that blood's then going straight from that donor dog straight into the dog that's in in the practice so that's amazing it happens more often than um, than we think about when we look at the figures we think oh actually there's quite a few times we've been asked for threshold blood Ultimately, our service is available to all veterinary practices in the UK, wherever they are in the country. We will, you know, we will get blood to them.
0: And would you have any idea? This is probably a really, really hard question. <laughs> any idea just how many dogs you may have helped, if not saved the lives of, from your service?
1: It will be thousands, won't it? I guess you know, 13,000 dogs that have come through the programme. Not all of those are active, obviously, you know, um, donor number one and donor number two um, are are retired now. But yes, it, it will be thousands each, every year that are saved. So, you know, it's an amazing thing to think about, you know, your dog coming forward and donating blood and making a huge difference to an, another family member in somebody else's family.
0: So we talked a lot about dogs because they are your primary donor and recipients, but Cats, tell me a bit about your new cat blood donor programme. Is it is it up and running yet or, or when might it be? Oh, I can't give you a date. Certainly we've progressed to having a
1: registration form on our website. So for anyone that has a cat that they would like to be a blood donor, if you look at our website, PetBloodBankUK.org, um, then from there, you'll be able to register your cat and similar criteria, really, but obviously not 25 kilos. So we are looking for those large cats, which in itself, I think, will be quite challenging in the UK because our, our cat population can be quite small. So, you know, looking for sort of four and a half, five kilo cats to, to come forward. And again, sort of a lean, a lean body weight and, a, you know, a similar age, sort of one, one to eight years of age currently continuing to um, investigate um, look at the resources available and the regulations surrounding that we we obviously hold a government license in order to to run PEPLA bank um so it's working with our regulatory authorities to see how we can get this feline service off the ground and out there to um, to everybody
0: I was gonna say, is there an ETA of six months, 12 months? But the moment you said you're working with authorities, it's red tape. You probably have no idea when you're gonna get the, the green light to go ahead with this.
1: No, we 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 meet regularly and um, and obviously PEPLA Bank is run by a board of trustees as well. So yeah, it's it's on the agenda all the time and it it's constantly reviewed. So yeah, it's definitely something that we want to progress as soon as we possibly can. And until that time, obviously threshold cap donors um, so just like our dogs you know if, if anyone's got a cat that's fit and healthy and is of a, a largest um, sort of stature and yeah likes meeting people <laughs> then um then they could always let their local veterinary practice know that they'd be willing to allow them to be a donor for their for their practice and I'm sure that
0: practice would be really grateful. Now I wanted to ask you a couple of uh, more I suppose ethical questions about the the ethics surrounding collecting blood from from animals I mean, after all, they can't technically give consent themselves. And some might say it could technically be classed as, as what's called in the veterinary industry as an unnecessary procedure. There's an argument to be made for both sides, but how, what's what's your sort of answer to to the ethics of an animal donating when they can't technically give consent themselves?
1: Yeah, so from a, from a consent point of view, our dogs are not consenting. I, I think if they could put their paw on the consent form, they would do that but their owners are consenting on their behalf. So obviously the owners are explained the donation procedure by by our vet and our staff and they're there with their dogs and um, can answer any questions and certainly they're consenting on their dog's behalf. And our donor dogs are closely monitored in all areas, whether they're in the pre-screen area, the the donation room or the post-donation room. So we monitor their behaviour and their welfare and we actually score them. So All of that is recorded on their records so that we can check each time that they come to donate that they've got good welfare. Regarding it being an unnecessary procedure, yes, I suppose you could say it's unnecessary for that dog. That dog is not in need of blood at that time, but it may very well be in need of blood in the future. So therefore, you know, we definitely feel that having quick and easy access to blood saves time, saves lives and is very much important for the canine population as a whole and therefore that canine is is helping other dogs and I think I've already mentioned you know our dogs are their family members and I'm not saying that some dogs are more important than others but you know we have dogs in the armed forces police dogs guide dogs assistance dogs they're doing really important roles out there and to be able to provide them with blood when they need it for me it's absolutely paramount that that service is available
0: And are there any side effects to donating for for animals, either cats, if you know about them, or the dogs?
1: Um, No. In the early days of Pet Blood Bank, we called all of our owners after their dogs um, donated, and certainly our first-time donors do receive a follow-up call to ensure that, um, you know, how their dog has reacted post-donation. Our owners report that their dogs are more bouncier, more livelier, because they've had those treats, they've had those toys. Um, Certainly we ask our owners... To, to allow their dog to take it easy the day that they've donated. Um, so, so to not do anything strenuous, And you know, if they donate in the afternoon or evening, sort of let them rest that day. For dogs that are involved in extreme sports, then we obviously ask them to, um, to rest for longer so that they're not straight back into cross or something like that, you know, the very next day. So to ask them to take a bit more of a, of a longer rest period. But in general, no, I, we don't really see effects of, of donating,
0: they don't all get really, really chunky because you keep giving them biscuits every time they donate.
1: Well, do you know, we weigh them every time they come so we can keep an eye on that as well.
0: <laughs> now, you did say, obviously, you are, you know, a charity and you, you only charge fees for the collection and storage and delivery. You don't charge an actual service fee, as it were. You do fundraising. Presumably public can donate money to keep the, this service going.
1: Yeah so on our website there is a donate button so if you would like to, um, to donate financially absolutely go to, the, go to the website. Understand at the moment obviously those dogs that are under 25 kilos can't get involved in being a blood donor but supporting us in other ways. We do have people that come forward that whether it's a, a sponsored dog walk or an, you know an activity that they can do with their dogs and, and therefore gain sponsorship and donate that money to Pet Blood Bank is always greatly appreciated and, you know, can generate a lot of fun in the community as well.
0: Were there any other points or areas that you wanted listeners to to really know about the Pet Blood Bank service?
1: Really just thanking the veterinary profession, you know, and for providing us with those host venues of which we would, we would struggle, you know, to get out into the wider community. Um, In COVID, you know, we were We were collecting blood in all different places. I think we ended up in a pub car park at one point. Um, We do have a fantastic mobile unit. We only have one of them at the moment. And that has been amazing during COVID because where some of our venues rightly so did not want us to come in because they were protecting and bubbling their their staff within the veterinary hospitals that they were working we were able to use that mobile unit and dogs were you know able to come in and donate in a in a little facility that we've got that we were able to travel around in it does mean that it takes a little bit longer because we can only have one dog in at a time, obviously, whereas our donation venues, you know, we, we've often got two dogs um, going through the donation process. So we get, we see less dogs using the mobile unit, but it's been amazing to keep the blood stocks going.
0: Wendy, thank you so much for giving up some of your time to come on the podcast and talk about this blood service. It's an amazing service that you run. And on behalf of all the dogs and all the vets that find you, thank you for providing the service.
1: Well I'd like also to say thank you to the fantastic um, general public for allowing those dogs to come forward and give blood and obviously the next time they're out in the park and they see a dog that's over 25 kilos have a chat with the owner to see how old it is and whether it would like to come along and be a blood donor as well.
0: Wendy thank you so much again I really appreciate you coming on.
1: Thank you thanks for having us.
0: Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you for listening, and if you do want to get in touch with me, then you can simply email me on the at gmail.com or get in touch via Instagram where you'll find me as yes, the Underdog Vet Podcast. Don't forget to hit subscribe via your favourite platform. And please note that the Underdog Vet Podcast is entirely independent. It's just me, Dr. Judy Puddyfoot, speaking as an individual. No affiliations with any organisations, charity or businesses are made or implied unless I specifically mention it.